Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? You all right? The week been treating you, okay? Well, I hope we've been treating you, okay? Because this is the second episode of the week. Nick Payne was Tuesday, and today we travel to Yorkshire to meet the Mancunian poet, J.B. Barrington. Now, if you saw Sleeping Mods on their last tour, you'll have seen J.B. supporting. If you have seen Revenant the Makers at the moment on their current tour, J.B. will have been supporting. Um, he is a real force. We went over to Yorkshire, he invited us into his house, we set up in the dining room, and his lovely wife was cooking us all food after it, so we thought we'd best get down to it and have a natter. But what I wanted him to start off by doing uh, was reading him some, reading us some of his poetry. So he went to get his bag of tricks. Uh, by bag of tricks, I mean his, his actual bag. He carries this bag and he's got all his notes and all his books in. I think that's like his, his life right in there. Um, and we thought we'd kick off with a bit of poetry. This is episode 59 of the Two Shot Podcast with J.B. Barrington. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end. You want something punchy to start? I don't, I don't, go on then, always... go something punchy to start. Because um, we can move well, on. You want to sunglasses? Things. Everybody wants sunglasses, don't they? Do you know the point sunglasses, Tom? I don't know. Okay, Why? testing your fucking allegiance here. Somebody. <laughs> you don't know anything, do you? <laughs> But I, I always introduce myself. I always say I'm JB Barrington, don't worry, I don't know who you are either. It's well, the I best think, introduction then. Well, well introduce yourself. Are you we recording now? We're recording. All right. Okay. Well, hello, I'm JB Barrington, don't worry, I don't know who you are either. It's lovely to be here. Do you want me to report him now? Yeah, go on. Right, I'll do that. This is called uh, Do Opposites of Chat because my missus really likes this one. You're the reason for my early rise of glory in the morning. I'm the reason why you roll your eyes and roll away whilst yawning. You're the reason I douse my undies in old spice as we head to bed. I'm the reason you prefer a cup of tea and take up a good book instead. You're the reason I bring flowers to the door of our abode. I'm the reason for your suspicions that I found them by the road. You're the reason for the five a day in our fridge of vitamin C. I'm the reason there's always a chip pan on the go in time for tea. You're the reason for the Question, do opposites attract? I'm the reason there's an answer, and it's yes, and we're proof of that. I thank you. I don't think there's any better way to start an episode well, it's true, yeah, we're poles apart, but, you know. That's nice, but they do though, say opposites it? attract, and uh, we do, evidently. So. so here we are, in East Riding. Sipping, East Riding of Yorkshire, yeah, yeah. Sipping a, a very nice lager Everyone at the end of the day. Everyone thinks, uh, still thinks I live in Salford. You, you, you well, I was going to say, a proud Salford man like you, what are we doing in, on the wrong side well, of the Pennines? Well, there's a bit of a story to it, yeah. I mean, I am from Salford, Little Alton. I grew up there, a little sleepy hamlet to the west of Salford, if you know it. But I, uh, I met Sharon, and um, as you do, you follow your heart, and she didn't want to move, and, and, I, and I did. So I ended up in York about nine years ago. Why York, though? Because, well, Sharon's from Scarborough originally. Right. She lived in York at the time, um, and I just moved there. Because I could, and I, it was easier for me to move around, you know what I mean? So Because of work? Well, and that, and just the fact that, you know, I just really fancied a change. And it was beautiful, you know, um, and Sharon just wasn't willing to move. Not that she didn't like Salford or Manchester. <laughs> Where she lived was, was beautiful. I guess Slayton now, on if you're saying, oh, well, no. I'm Salford, you know, nothing wrong with that. But you still got a lot of love for Manchester and Salford, obviously. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't be the person I am without it. Yeah. Of course not. M- more Salford than Manchester. Tell me about growing up, Little Hulton. Oh, man, superb. Well, I mean, four big council estates. I lived on Wallenswood Road uh, estate. There was Kenyon Way, there was uh, Captain Ford, there was Mount Skip. There was four big estates that were built. Uh, they were built in the 60s to to house the overspill of those in Salford after sort of post-war when they knocked all the slums down, built the precinct, blah, 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 and put a load of flats up, and then they shipped everybody out. So from what I can gather from talking to my mum and it was like utopia because suddenly you, you moved to this place where it was like front and back garden, inside bog, you know what I mean? And it was beautiful. And me growing up there, 
coming along later on in the seventies, was that sense of community and that sense of you know um, you know the labour club and stuff like that. And then um, for me going in that labour club as I got older, the characters um, were, were you would there's you would never meet that sort of calibre of comedy or that sense of you know. Because it was of its time. Or... Oh yeah, I mean a lot of my dad now, you know, and I, 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 without those people, I would never have wrote, you know, three quarters of the stuff I've ever wrote. I probably would never have wanted to write, but I wanted to write about them, and I, I just remembered stuff they used to say, and the stories, the old, the old dockers. I mean, most of these people were shipped onto the dole under Thatcher. Do you know what I mean? There was yeah. huge amounts of poverty, but um, I think within that. Um, level of poverty there's always that kind of humour the working class are very good at that yeah. good at having a laugh and laughing at themselves and I do that when I'm on stage you know I'm very self-deprecating and I, yeah. I have a go at myself you know especially when times are hard oh yeah they were good at that else, I mean bear in mind we, you know I was a pot collector in the labour club I'd only be 16, 17 and watching these turns on a Saturday night and, and, and they would pre- 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 you know they, they would their jokes were based around being in debt, you know, and 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 struggling. But actually, you know, they were getting two hundred quid a night. You know, they were, they were in a good crust. You know yeah. what I mean? But they had this great way of making you feel. But they that also actually, need that, all right. that material that the audience can connect with. Absolutely, I'm, yeah. I'm the same as you. I'm one of you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've always, and that ties into to, to to songs as well and to bands. I've always connected to people that wrote about stuff. That I could connect to. Do you, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's why I became, you know, in, in the 80s I was a House Minds fan because Paul Eaton's lyrics were, you know, just was so. They resonated so much with me. I mean, initially Paul Weller with the jam, do you know what I mean? But that kind of went off with the style council and I kind of lost that and thought, what's that? And then later on in life, found it again and really enjoyed the music, but I didn't really get where, where he was coming from. But, you know, when you think of Billy Bragg and Paul Heaton, and even, strangely enough, Chuck D with Public Enemy, even though he was a black Afro-American artist, you know, talking about the struggles in America, I kind of got it as a sort of young kid growing up on a, on a council estate because he had the same similar kind of struggles. Um, what kind of struggles were you facing, though, as a family? Well, I mean, when I left school, I mean, it was either a YTS or you, you, went on the, on, on, you signed on the dollar the same time as your dad. I mean, I didn't have fault, unfortunately, because my dad worked. He was a painting decorator, but I did a YTS. But... It was that kind of I don't know that you know you will work at that factory you will do that you will do this you that building sites for you there's nothing else for you you know what I mean so you know just be grateful for what you've got. What did you want to do? Oh, I never knew. I never. I still don't know. I <laughs> I, I never knew what I wanted to do. Um, I, I, it's funny when I left school, I I wanted to go and further my education because I was a I, I was really into reading, which was frowned upon, which is is on most. Places like where I grew up, probably same as yourself. Yeah. Something wrong with you if you like reading, do you know what I mean? But yeah, I was yeah. really, and that again was through listening to House Martin's Billy Bragg and finding out about Karl Marx. And I read the uh, the Ragged Trials of Philanthropist, which is behind me. If you look at the Great Money Trick, I know yeah, you, it is. I know the listeners can't see it, but my favourite book is Robert Tressel, and I've got a print there of the Great Money Trick. We'll take but I read that book when I was about fourteen, and everything changed. I mean, up to being about fourteen, I was just a little scrote that didn't really know anything. Do you know what I mean? We get into um, trouble. Yeah, yeah, not not major, but I was probably hanging around with the wrong, the wrong people. But um, reading kind of got me out of that. But reading um, politically, Robert Trussell's Ragged Trousers of Philanthropist made made me sort of see it in a different world. But um, but from that, um, what did I want to do? I just wanted to. Um, God, it's like counselling session, man. I wanted to. I wanted to make my dad proud. Um, because he didn't, he didn't speak. He was one of those. He just didn't. He didn't have the ability to speak. He just, you know what I mean. He was that generation. Or, to, or to show. You know, he exactly was no good what at was that. going so on. I just yeah, thought yeah. Right, he works for he works for this building company called Saddens in Little, and I'm I'm going to go there and I'm going to do a wine TS. I'm going to do. I went plumbing. I didn't want to do it, but I did it because I thought he'll make him proud. You know what I mean? And then, um, and then about two, three, well, about three years into it, uh, two years into my apprenticeship. He died very suddenly. Um, uh, I've never forgiven for that. Actually, <laughs> sounds weird, but um, but um, he de- he died, and I just thought, you know, I did this because I wanted him to. to I wanted to stand at the bar in a labour club and have a beer with him, and him to say, "Oh my lads, this and that." And I never got to do it. Do you know what I mean? Because he went. So yeah. after that, I kind of just went. I fucked it off and did, did a bit of this a bit of labouring, and I was in a few bands, and uh, as you can see, there's guitar. I used to play guitar, and that's how the poetry started. Because I was writing stuff, and I was just like, you know, playing around, and didn't do a lot for a long time, um, and kind of lost the plot really. So, 
What do you mean when you say lost the plot? You just uh, got a bit lost in I was what all you were doing. Place, in and out of the dole, uh, on and off the dole, doing this, doing that, you know, stuff I couldn't really say on tape, you know what I mean? No, but, I understand. Um, but yeah, you, you're doing it. It's funny how you, how you end up in life, you know what I mean? But, um, but I think I, I was always writing stuff. Um, were you showing I, people what you were writing? No, no. Bur- no, burying it away, yeah. It was just my little way of... I, I kind of wanted to be um, a Paul Heaton. And uh, people will laugh at that and they go, oh, Paul Heaton, beautiful South Arts man. To me, he was, he's one of the greatest lyric writers in the, in the country. Yeah, you know brilliant. What I mean? He is a, a, a big influence on me. And always, always when I was, he doesn't do that many interviews, that certainly I don't see him anymore, but I remember seeing one years ago when he was on TFI Friday with Chris Evans. I'll never forget it because he came across as one of the most genuine blokes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I got, it's funny, you know, because <clears throat> I used to do... Um, I was writing, I played guitar and I was writing songs and I was in this little folk club in, in Salford in Swinton called Swinton Folk Club and he'd moved to Manchester, Paul, when he was with the Beautiful South and then the Beautiful South split up and then he went solo and he was on Facebook um, under a pseudonym, Horace Heaton Jr., which was his dad's name, so he called himself Horace Heaton Jr. Right. And as you do, you, so I, I, it's that part, I, it's friend request and he accepted and he said, that's not him, do you know what I mean? And it was because he went through a spell where he was genuinely on Facebook, you know what I mean? And, um, and then we, we, we do, I was doing these songs and posting them on Facebook at the time. I've got back now and play. What well, were you recording them or video? We used to do little videos of us. We, we used to play in this pub. We used to play folk songs. We used to write our own songs. It was called the Snug Songwriters Night, and he really liked it. And I wasn't a great singer, and I'm still not a great singer, but I can play. And I How can old write. were you now around this time? Oh, this is this is. Um, oh, we've jumped forward quite a few years now. Yeah. So this is just before, this is about the same time I met Sean, about 2010. Right. So this is kind of how it leads into me doing poetry because I got to know Paul cause he, uh, because of the, the stuff I was doing online and Facebook and so on and so forth. Um, and he took the King's Arms over. Um, and I used to do a thing there called uh, the Salford Salutes Dylan, which was a Dylan night. And I used to go there and play anyway. Um, and then he was doing a poetry night and um, him and his girlfriend at the time, Zena, said, we're doing a poetry night. Do you want to come and do some of your songs? poems and I was thinking why because my fucking songs are shit I can't sing <laughs> and he was like no no it's because you know you write lyrics you know we're doing a poetry night so I'd never stood up and read poetry I'd, I'd, I'd played guitar to a degree but always with someone else because I was never confident playing on my own um, and then ended up going doing this um, this poetry night what Paul was doing so you imagine flipping back he's a big hero of mine all his albums house mine he was a beautiful South fan as well and he was a big influence and all of a sudden he's asking me to go and do a poetry night and he's in the audience how the fuck did we get to that from my dad fucking dying to me going doing a YTS? Don't worry, it's all, it's all in hand. <laughs> is this how these podcasts work? This is like some kind of regressive therapy session. I started with a poem and now I've just gone fucking 25 years of my life from being a scot on the dole. But it's funny because you say that about... So that was the first time you got up in front of anybody and read your poems. Yeah, 9th of March. Because you remember when we 9th met? 9th of March 2012. When and Mike first... Gary was there. You know Mike Gary, the poet? No. Well, Mike Gary was on as well. There's a guy called Gav Roberts was on from Rotherham, who I've ended up being really good friends with, and he's a brilliant poet. And it was just, it just took off from there. Because suddenly I just found this this thing I'd been looking for all my life. Because I've always been, you fucking open the fridge and the light comes and I'm there, the jazz hands, you know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> boom, you know. And nobody was ever interested. You know, oh, he's a fucking prick, he's had a few beers, you know what I mean? And I was, you know, every school report, class clown. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... When you look back, there has to be a reason for that because you're looking for something that's not there. So it might be a cuddle from my mum and dad. It might be some recognition at home because my mum and dad were busy working. My dad was just the way he was. He was a fantastic provider. He was a grafter. We never went without anything. And actually on the estate, if I think about it now, because I'm in me, you know, when I think about like the trainers I've got, and all, a lot of it's in my poems, you know what I mean? We never went without. We weren't poor, no. but we weren't rich, do you mm. know what I mean? He just didn't fucking speak. He couldn't talk. I'm not saying he couldn't speak. He wasn't fucking dumb, you know what I mean? But I have a but joke. It's a, it's of a generation, isn't it? But I have, I have a joke where I say, my dad only ever said six words to me that was turn telly over and ask your mum. Because it wasn't his gig. Yeah. That wasn't his gig. His gig was fucking dishing out the punishment yeah. if required, and it fucking was. Um, but my mum was the one that kind of 
smoothed everything over and you know what I mean she, when I was a punk when I, in about 70, 78 I was only 7 or 8 so I'm trying to be a punk and I had sex pistols on me on, on my coat my mum used to pass my coat over the wall because my dad had gone mentally he'd found it in the wash house she, what, what, what's this you know he's got swearing on his coat my mum would pass it over the wall and like you know when you wanted to dress up in certain clothes and that it was always my mum that sorted it out do you yeah. know what I mean but there's a flip side to that because my mom, I was telling Sharon the other day actually which is my, my, my wife by the way in case anyone doesn't know <laughs> We went, um, when my mama got, my dad didn't go to parents' evening, because her dad didn't go to parents' evening, he was, he was probably at darts or something like that, that wasn't for him. My mama got to parents' evening, it'd be shocking. She'd come back and tell him everything they'd said, and I was like, and it'd be a nightmare, I'd get kept in for like six weeks, and a part of me's thinking, just fucking lie, ma'am. Yeah. Just lie and yeah, say, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was all right, Jack, you know, and everything would have been cool, my posters would have stayed on the wall, my records wouldn't have got fucking thrown in the bin. Um... But that's the way it was, and he, he he wasn't, you know, he was very he was very very strict. But you know, I I I don't know his history because I never really because he was I was fucking he was fifty when he went and I was seventeen. Do you know what I mean? So again, how did we get to that? Where we, we just we just go all Dr. around. We we jump yeah. back and forth in time. Was it just you, man? Was it no no brothers and sisters? I mean, I've got a brother. Yeah, I have a brother and sister. Seven years. Um, my sister's seven years older and my brother's nine years older. So, and we, um, they, we all lived at home. My brother left when he was 18, but um, I kind of remember we all lived together at some point. But yeah, but they were older, so they kind of did one. Uh, and I was sort of, you know, as I got into my little sort of teens, it was just me, do you know what I mean? But you used to have a good relationship with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. cool, yeah. She had a bro- uh, room with my brother. But he was a United fan, I was a City fan, so I was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Not that I know anything about football, but I do know that. Yeah, well, it was split in our estate. It was mostly United because I live from Salford, I mean, but there was a few City fans in our estate and I was one of them, which wasn't great growing up. I bet. It's all right now. <laughs> I bet. I yeah. heard. So, you know, when that first time when he got up at the King's Head? King's the, Arms. The King's Arms, oh. sorry. I remember when we oh, first... That's where, oh, that's where we was. Oh, but do you remember when we... Because suddenly I found myself... Let me a word in Edgeways, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you remember when we myself. first met the other year? And it was the first time we'd met proper. And Oh, at Cheltenham? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd just done... Who'd have thought it, eh? Me going to Cheltenham. Cheltenham. How they have the likes okay. of me and you in Cheltenham? Yeah, where are you going, Cheltenham? Yeah. But you were saying to me, you said, you know, I've got a... I put it out. It's, it's, it's a heightened version. You've got to put on that sort of that stage persona when you're reading your work. Did well, you yeah. find that... that, that stage persona that first night or did we did yeah we... I think so because I was really nervous and I was nervous because Paul Heaton was in the audience yeah and I was in awe of him um, so I walked on stage even that night um, and I just thought I'm just going to fucking have this and there's a little bit of sort of cockiness in it but I think we've all got that anyway but there is with you there's something a bit sort of that you deserve to be on this stage oh, yeah, and I fuck it, it, you, I'm, I'm, yeah, when I'm I walk, off a rock star when I anyway. On, well, yeah, it, it frightens me. When I look back at myself, I'm, I hate watching video and I don't like people putting things on YouTube. If I know them and they've filmed, I always say, can you send it me first before you put it up? Because I like to look at it. I hate watching myself, but... Why, because you're your own worst critic? Yeah, or... I, I just think I look fucking gormless, you know what I mean? I think I sound thick, uh, you know, but I can't help the way I talk. You well, you I mean? don't sound thick. Well, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? I'll try and talk a little bit, you know. No, don't, Cheltenham, now you do. The Cheltenham don't Poetry do Festival, you know, <laughs> I mean, we'll be talking a little they bit They didn't know what hit them, they loved it. But, um, but yeah, there is, and, and, and um, it's, it's an act, it's a persona, because, you know, I'm not, you know, you have to, because... When you're doing Sleaford Mods gigs, I mean, we're skipping forward a lot, a lot further. Don't worry, we can go back and. When you're doing out those big there. crowds, and you're doing Reverend and the Makers, when you're doing Shed Seven, and, you know, and I did Kendall Calling, where it was I was opening up for the Charlatans and that. You, you've got to bear in mind, no fucker knows who you are. Do you know what I mean? So you've got to walk out there and say, "I'm a poet." And straight away, if I'm in an audience and I'm at a gig and I'm waiting for a band, and, I, and some poem walks out, goes, "I'm a poet. I'm going to read you some poems." I'm like, "Get to fuck." Yeah. In poetry, I pay you my money to yeah. see Sleeper Mods. Okay, you know, where's or... your butterfly net? You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But you've got to walk out and just have it, you know. And and I tell you, I, I tell you, when I did the Ritz in Manchester with Sleeper Mods, fucking two, you know, I, I don't know what the capacity is there, but it must have been. It was hammered, two thousand people. I mean, mate Kermit from Black Grape, you know, yeah. rap assassins, Kermit. He he came um, and he was at the back with his mate. And when he come off, he just went, "You fucking lion tamer." 
And I love that. Yeah. And it was nice. And I've not said that before. I'm not a bit uncomfortable saying it now because it's like I'm bragging. I'm not. No, but, no, I, no, but that's somebody I get what saying, saying somebody's opinion about what you just because did. all he could see was it was was people who've been. Now, bear in mind when I, when the, when the main act comes on, it's generally around nine, ten past nine. Yeah. They've been in the venue invariably since half seven onwards, absolutely Having drinking a drink. beer, or they've been drinking somewhere else where the beer's all right. Because yeah. in most venues, the beer's shite. Yeah. And they're out there, uh, and they just want the main. Nobody really wants a support band. I mean, let's be let's be honest. And it's nice when you find a good support band. Yeah, I've done it. I've been in there because I like music same as yourself. So I will I will watch the support bands, and I go, oh, who are they? Oh, you might say, not keen on them. Most people are not interested. You walk out as a point for ten because that's all you can do. Ten fifteen minutes. You can't do any more on that. If you try to do any more on that, you're you're, you're a loser. But um, yeah, and he said, oh, you're the line timer because I just kept them quiet. For 10 minutes or 10, 15 minutes or whatever it was. And it's because it's you almost, and I hate saying this, you walk out with the same attitude as Liam Gallagher. You watch Liam Gallagher walk out, whether you like him or not. But you've, as I said, you've got that when you, you walk yeah, on stage. Because, because, you don't, because, yeah, you, because you don't know if Liam Gallagher genuinely is shitting himself every time he goes out. Because he'll never tell you. Because he's, put, he's going out with his shield and his sword mm. and he's doing that. He's exactly the same as when you was a kid... I mean, I've, I, you know, I've, I'm not a fighter and I'm not a tough guy in, by any means, you know what I mean? My missus could knock ten tons of shit out of me if she wanted to. I'm not a fighter. But when you're a kid growing up and when you're with a crew of boys or whatever, or lads, and you, you fight people from the next neighbourhood or the next city or the next town, you have to front it, don't you? And it's yeah. all about front. And yeah. sooner or later you get caught out. But mostly it's chest out, shoulders back, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. I'm waiting for the day on stage when I lose. I've been lucky so far. <laughs> Touch wood. Right. I've got away with it. There was there was one occasion, and if John McClure was here now from Reverend the Makers, he'd tell you um, where I think it was um, Sheffield Academy because it's their home gig, Reverend yeah. the Makers. Um, it was a tough crowd because um, they were it, 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 sometimes with technical difficulties and all like that. John put me on right before they come on, so you're talking nine o'clock. So they'd already there. been a support band on before, that's so you're in the middle. Or? He puts me on right before they're coming on. Right. Steve, Steve Underwood from Steve Mons used to do the thing. It was that perfect bridge in between where actually the comfort zone would be to go on at half seven, eight o'clock and perform to maybe a couple of hundred. They're going to listen. No, you're going on at nine. Suits me. I yeah. love it. Do you know what I mean? Because it's a bigger crowd. I might sell more books. Because yeah. it's all about selling books, you know what I mean? And, and exposure. But with and John will tell you if he was there. The two gigs with him, I did Sheffield and Manchester. And when I did Sheffield, uh, there was a crew in there, obviously local lads, big Reverend Macon's fans, and they weren't for being quiet. They were da 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 da. Yeah, you know. already started. But I just managed to go over the top of it, and eventually they just came round because I've got a, gr- a lot, you know. Because my, my acts, look, I do a lot of stand-up comedy as well, so there's, I've got some great heckle put downs, which I've, you know, which are mine. Yeah. So there was, I mean, there's a couple of guys being really, really noisy, and I, I, I just stopped and said, "For fuck's sake, lads, I'm working up here. You know, I don't come fucking my avenue when you're working, wiping tables at McDonald's. Well, the whole place goes up, so they've got a choice: they have to carry on, yeah. And I've got the microphone. Bernard Manning, whether you like him or not, was a fucking genius at, at, at the heckle put downs, and he used to say, "You can be the funniest man in the crowd. I've got the microphone. I'll yeah. make you look a cunt." And, and I've kind of adopted that from, again, going back to listening to those Labour Club comics. See where we're going. Absolutely. We'll yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. learn it and it stays with you because they were brilliant. You know what I mean? You, there will be very funny people in the crowd full of beer that one-on-one are either going to knock you out or they'll nail you with their wit. But nobody can hear them. Exactly. The only people that can hear them is five or six mates around them. And I'll make them look at swat. And if all the rest of the crowd are but on don't board get me, with you. Yeah, but don't get me wrong, afterwards, I'm always thinking, oh, fuck, you know. I'm right. So I always finish with a nod and a wink, say, come and buy a book, you know what I mean? You know, we're all friends. Yeah, you know? exactly. And yet, touch wood, to this day, I'm still in one piece. <laughs> there might come a day when I get a good idea. But then I think that's the danger for every every act. Yeah. And I'm sure even John or Jason from Sleaford Mods or, you know, whatever band, if you're having a... I mean, bands really don't really tend to have a pop with the audiences. I'm sure Jason has worked from Sleaford Moss. I mean, I, I've seen him have a few people, you know, uh, somebody threw a doll's arm in. I was supporting him in fucking Dundee and someone threw a doll's arm on stage. I can't remember what that was about because I was hammered, but it was funny. But he, he threw it back and had a go. But nobody's ever had a pop at him because I think it, there's a bit of licence when you're on stage. Yeah. You know, you know, 
Because I always, I, I'll say to someone, you know, I'll have a go at someone, and I'll turn away and I'll look at someone and go, is he a big gun? You know what I mean? <laughs> and people laugh, you know what I mean? And, and then I've had lads come up to me. I mean, I, one of the greatest echo, and I'm going to ruin a gag here that I use on stage, but I'm going to do it. Hebden Bridge, Sleaford Mods. Um, I did the Trades Club there with a fantastic gigs. Um, Sleaford Mods were fucking great, as they always are. But um, I was doing my, my arts, and I used the C word. You know, I use it loosely. I don't use it in, in any sort of effeminate, offensive way. It's You've already a, used it about five times I have, this yeah, episode, yeah, yeah. So It's just a great word. Oh, do you know, my mum makes me laugh at that word, you know, because she'll say, I don't like that cunt word. I don't want to wear the cunt <laughs> word. I don't mind swearing, but I don't want to wear the cunt word. So you just said it four times, man. <laughs> Um, but I was, and I'd used that word a couple of times because it's in a poem or whatever. And there was a bit of a commotion at the back of the, quite a packed, well, it was sold out. So, you know, Ebden Bridge Trades Club probably holds about six, seven hundred really intimate venue. And there was a commotion at the back of the thing. And I, and I could hear this girl, lady, whatever sort of going on. And I, and I stopped and I said, well, what's up? She went, you know that you know the word you just used there, the C word. It's it's offensive to women in general. Da, 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 da. So I says, oh, I do apologise, and I'm sorry for offending you, but I can't hear you, I can't see you, and I can't tell what you were saying. <laughs> Which the fucking place went up. Do you know what I mean? So Sleaford mods come out and opened up with bunch of cunts. Did they? Yeah, they were, I was their opening track. Brilliant. Because when I told Jason after the gig, and it, I don't know if you've been to Trades Club, but if he was here, Jason, he'd tell you there's like a there's like a fire escape stairwell where the artists come up and then go into the stage. You know what I mean? At Trades Club, it's brilliant. And we were, we, yeah, I, was, I was smoking at the time, so you stand out there and have your fag and that. You know what I mean? And I, he, he, he doesn't smoke cigarettes, Jason. Uh, well, he, I don't think he was smoking then, but Andrew smoked. So we stood out there. And when they'd finished the gig, they'd come off, and I told him that story, and he just fucking grabbed me and gave me a big hug. He said, That's fucking brilliant. Because they opened up with a bunch of cunts. Were they already going to open up with a bunch of cunts? Th- so that was in their set list, yeah. But did so, they move it to the top? No, they just no. did it anyway, because oh. they weren't, they, they were down in a little sort of, there was a little area, so they weren't watching my art. Right. God bless them, they've seen it so many times. Why would you want to watch my art when you're doing the gig, you know? But um, but the thing was, what gig did that woman think she was going to yeah. to not hear that kind of language? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So skip forward a bit. I'm on the merch stand with Steve Underwood, who's Sleepwood Mod's manager, um, selling me wares, blah, blah, blah. And her husband came over. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. This is, might be the point where I get a fucking black eye. Do you know what I mean? And he was lovely. Was he, he said, listen, I'm sorry about the message. You know, I don't know why she fucking came, mate. You know, uh, uh, I fucking told her, you know. I thought you were fucking brilliant. And I'm like, I'm, and again, chest out, I'm trying to be like a bit Liam Gallagher. But inside me is going, thank fuck for yeah. that, you know. But then she come over and she was lovely. Was she? Absolutely lovely. Bought a book. Did and I signed it to her. Happy days. What did you sign in the book? Cunt. <laughs> Fuck off, you cunt. Where's this going? I'm going to get oh, shot here. I've got a fucking... Yeah. Do you know, after that... So after that first gig, and it all went well... It is me worrying about nattering to you. You are? It is me worrying about what I'm going to say. You never worry about nattering to me, don't worry. <laughs> so where did it lead from there? So where, where are we in time? We're going back. We're going back to the arms. Oh, the King's Arms. Yeah. Oh, right. Well, the King's Arms. I, I did it, and I just I didn't think anything of it. I thought, I'm going to do some of, my, some of the songs that I wrote. I'm going to do them as poems. Don't Look Down, which is a poem that has become quite well-known within my act and everyone loves, was originally a song. Um, I could... That's not in tune, that guitar. I know no one can see it, but um, I could... If I could... I'd have to dig the... I could sit... Maybe another time, I'll sit and play it to you and it's got... It's, it's C, F, A minor and it's quite a choppy little kind of catchy song. It was a song. A lot of the early poems were, so I just turned it into a poem. And I did that from from there... Um, and I was doing all these stuff that I'd wrote as songs. So, so where I had like a middle eight and things like that, I just chopped that out. Where I had things repeating as choruses, I just made them into poems. Because I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd, been, I'd always wrote songs and poems for like 10, 15 years, but most of them were shite. But um, I kind of chopped bits from other things and bits of stories and done stuff. So from that gig, the guy who was there, Gav Roberts, who's a, you should check him out, great poet in, in, down in Rotherham. He invited me to do a thing that he called Romp, which was Rotherham Old Mike performance or something. He did like a, a night down there, went down there. And then I did a thing in York, because that's where I lived. I went to this place in York, um, and then I met a guy called Jim Higo, who, who turned up and performed there. And I went to Hull, because he was from Jim. Hull. Yeah, Jim's great, yeah. yeah. Well, he did the Charlie yeah, Post yeah. Festival, this year. <clears throat> so then I went to Hull, and again, going to Hull uh, um, was harking back to the House Martins days, course, because yeah. Hull was this mythical place in my brain that I'd never been to, but had spawned all this great 
sort of music, do you know what I mean? And I was also into the Velvet Tones, the Gargoyles, and all that whole stuff that John Peel used to play years before, at the same time as the House Mines. That wasn't as successful. So eventually goes to Hull and does a gig there. Met Jim Higo, and then it kind of went from there, really. And then, you know, obviously YouTube, doing a bit of Facebook and blah, blah, blah. And, um, um, the rest is history, really. So, yeah, I can't tell you where that was. I, kinda, I think I fell asleep, drank some Mythos, is what we're drinking now, and then woke up and did this podcast with you. I think we should... I always remember an interview with Tony Curtis. Listen, I love this, right? Tony Curtis did an interview on Pags, and it stays with me to this day, right, Craig, because you'll get this. You're talking to me now about timelines. I ain't got a fucking clue what I did yesterday, never mind 10 years ago. Tony Curtis was on... I think it was Parkinson. It was, a, it was something like that. It might have been Russell Hart or something like that. And it was brilliant. And he, and he was talking about how he first got into Hollywood, how he first became an actor. And you're an actor, so you'll get this, right? right. And he said, uh, he said, I, I did this audition and I went for this thing and blah, blah, blah. And this, he was talking about like the 1950s, you know what I mean? This was like 1992, something before he died the interview, and he says, and I went to uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard and I went to Hollywood and they, they, they rented me this apartment and I had this part in this film and I remember going into my apartment and I had this pool, I couldn't believe it, and said it was autumn and the leaves were coming on the pool, it was so beautiful, and I was ready to do the shoot for my first film the next day and then I went to bed and I woke up and I came to do this interview with you now. And he clicked his fingers. And I'm, I think, I'm sure it was, I'd love to, it's not on YouTube, basically what you're saying was that's it it's gone do you know what I mean so yeah. that 40 years of career but it was because you're thinking where's he going with this you know yeah. he's telling us about his apartment you know and he just clicked his fingers and then I woke up and I went to do this and I almost uh, I almost think like I left school 1987 I walked down Alton Avenue in Little Alton I bought 10 um, um, embassy number one from the shop I went home I put house Martins, people who grin themselves to death on and then I, I went to bed and I woke up and I'm doing this podcast for you now and that's how it feels do you ever get like that? Yeah. Or is that just me? No, every, all the time. Every when, going, I, when, I think, when I think back to the last 20 years of my life, I do. Yeah. Much. But I think we should pause. I think we should have a poem, if that's all right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you want? Want. Do you, do you want something sad? Because we've gone a bit sad, haven't we? No, I think we should get out. I don't think we've gone sad, but I think we should maybe have something... Do you, have, do you know when you open up for these bands... And we'll get on to that after this poem, yeah. about how that started and how we how got us to do that. Um, do you always have something that you'd open up with, or does it depend on what band you're opening for? Yeah, <laughs> I, but yeah, I tend to... Bless, well, bless you, Well, I tend, to, I tend to open up with... Well, I used to always open up for Sleaford Mods with a poem called There's a Reason, because it's very political, it's very fast. Um, and then I started... I, I sort of pushed the boat out a bit when I did Revenant Makers, and I started with a poem called You Had Me. Um, which starts very, very. It's sort of two. There's two parts to it. The first part is very romantic and very poetic, and I, and when I wrote it, I wanted to really write something really poetic and really sort of metaphorical and uh, almost to try and prove to those kind of cynics in the academical poetry world that I can write poetry because I can. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, without swearing and without being. What's the word? Kurt? Is that a word? Kurt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah using you know, curse words or being Kurt, yeah. But it's about meeting someone and how it turns out. So I'll do it now. It's called, it's called You Had Me. And I used to, when I used to do my own show, I used to re- perform the first three verses in a very kind of John Gielgud, you know, You Had Me, when you first said hello. But I won't do that now because it's really fucking annoying. But it's called You Had Me. It goes like this. You had me when you first said hello, when the fervor in your eyes was all aglow, when the rapture and the passion was in full flow. You had me. You had me with your beautiful face, that winsome smile and your warm embrace, that elegant poise and your enticing grace. You had me. You had me with your sleek physique, the smell of Chanel number five on your cheek, a certain je ne sais quoi, bereft of critique. You had me. Well, you had me, you vicious twat. You fucked me over and that's a fact. You kept the house, I got a flat. You had me. You had me with all your bullshit lies. It's not you, it's me and your text replies while someone else got between your thighs. You had me. You had me over a fucking barrel, stitched up like a kipper. You had me, Carol. That's because I couldn't find anything to rhyme with barrel. (laughs) Apart from (laughs) Daryl. Daryl. Will, Will Farrell, Farrell. 
You had me striking through the night, listeners of the carpenters by candlelight without a pot to piss in, but you didn't give a shite. You had me. Oh, you had me, and now I wear my heart beneath a ripped sleeve since I fell apart, and now I only think of you whenever I fart. You had me. Brilliant. So that kind of works live, you know what I mean? Because people... At the first the, first, yeah. So imagine you walk out, Reverend the Makers audience, 2,000 people. You had me when you first... Who the fuck is this? Go, here we go. This is, the gear. this is the poetry we don't want to listen to. But after three verses, you had me, you vicious twat, you Lena, you kept the house, I got a flat. Suddenly then, there's probably a good three quarters of that audience who've gone through that go... Who's this fucking guy? Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, and then you do things like things my mum used to say, grapes are rough, which is about amaroids, obviously. So, w- whether you're a sufferer or not, you know, people find it funny. And then I always finish on sunglasses. Is that all you always finish I on sunglasses? I tend to finish, yeah, because it's become, um, it's quite a quick, sharp one. It makes people laugh. So, and again, mm. that was just a, a poem that, uh, there's, there's a story to that. And I won't tell you, I'll tell you off podcast. Is that a word? Off podcast. You know, it, you know, it, it is now. I know what you mean. You, you know when people say to you at work, so, can we speak offline? You just want to snap the fucking necks, don't you? <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what, I've got, a, I've got a poem about management speak that I've never performed, but I'll have to find it. Is that, can I find that in a bit? And then find I'll, that in a bit and then we'll go back you, to you, it. You know about buzzwords? You know, yeah, management yeah. buzzwords? Yeah. I'll do that because the, 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 the viewers, the listeners... The listeners. The listeners will love The listening one. family. So, um, where was I? Um, well, I'll tell you where I was... How did you get to start opening for bands? Because it's quite... It's, ah, it hasn't right, really okay. happened for, for, you know... John Cooper Clark used to do that uh, quite a long time ago, but there hasn't really been... Certainly yeah, not John that Cooper I Clark did it for the punk era, yeah. yeah. I, got to, I, I finally got, I, I met John, actually. That's an interesting story, I can tell you, if you want to talk about that later. Yeah, on. I love John. But I always, I always put... I've never really... I've met Weller twice, um, only because I fucking rode to the Apollo on my scooter and hung around outside to get it signed, do you know what I mean? But... Um, I always, I've always not been, I've always been weary of being let down by heroes. That's why when I met Paul Heaton, it was lovely. It was nice, blah blah blah. But I, I did get to meet John. But we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, and it was lovely because it was set up by his brother. His brother's a friend of ours. Me and Sharon and his wife uh, Wendy, the lovely, living Salford. I'll tell you about that later. So uh, yeah, John Cooper Clark did the punk thing, didn't he? But yeah. um, I, it, for me, it was Sleaford Mons. Um, there's a guy called Nick Cope um, and a guy called Dean. Fuck, if he's listening, he'll fucking knock me out. I can't remember his name. He's a lovely fellow. He's from Hull. Dean, um... Shakespeare... Oh, fuck. No, it's called Dean, anyway, and he promotes bands in... Shakespeare! She's shouting from the kitchen! Thanks, Sharon! He's called Dean Shakespeare. <laughs> Dean, if you're listening, I don't know if you are. How could you forget He's a fucking great guy. And I, met him at, I met him at the Humber Street Fest, actually. actually but he, he promotes <laughs> bands in, in York and Hull, and um, Slyford Mods were playing the Duchess venue. Right. But this is 2015 when um, I think we're just kind of they were starting to play mm. decent venues you know what I mean um, and a guy who was a met friend of ours Nick Cope um, he had a pub called The Spread Eagle but he was doing a bit of stuff in York and he said look Sleaford, this band Sleaford Mods are playing the Duchess you know my mate Dean wants, wants someone to support I think you're perfect being a poet you know you don't really want a band because you know it's sound checking and that sort of stuff and and I didn't know who they were. And I'll be honest with this, and if Jason was listening, and it, it, we've had this conversation, and it was Sharon who knew who they was. I said, oh, Sleaford Mods. Oh, you'll like them. Listen, and I knew, I kind of knew about Jolly Fucker, because you couldn't not see the YouTube click. It was yeah. viral, you know what I mean? So I did a quick YouTube, and I found Job Seeker. <clears throat> First thing I found was Job Seeker, and I thought, I fucking love that guy. Just the way he was, it was, it's the most viewed Job Seeker clip. I don't know where it's filmed. There's tons of them now, but... It was a lyrics, you know, pull your jeans up, fuck off, I'm going home, job seeker, mm. you know what I mean? It's got to be Nottingham, hasn't it, surely? Uh, well, I don't know where the gig was. But no, I'm, sure they, fil- I'm sure they filmed it there. Yeah, and um, I thought, fucking hell, they're, they're, they're ace, you know what I mean? And then I because th- originally I just thought, no, because I've always been like, you know, um, I don't really want to do that. I don't. I just wanted to do my own, I did a f- Manchester Fringe show and I just wanted to write my own little shows and... I didn't know what I wanted to do, do you know what I mean? I, I just thought, who's going to be interested? I, I was a bit, sort of, not so much nervous, but I just I always thought, well, who's going to want to fucking listen to me before a band? But I looked at him and I thought, if anything, I just want to go and fucking see him for free. So yeah. if I do the gig, I'm not going to have to buy a ticket, yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So um, I did it, and um, 
and it was great and I, I just I, you know I did the Duchess and it, again I've been to the Duchess as a punter so many times and this is one of the things about being a poet I get to play venues where I'm, I'm doing the O2 Academy soon with um, in Leeds I've been that many times as a punter to go there and not have to queue up and walk in and you know oh, I've got a pass you know I'm playing a gig tonight you know I pinched myself you know what I mean anyway yeah. so yeah doing Sleaford Mods and that's how it first started was I think it was Sleaford Mods um before that, I'd done some um, band stuff in, in Manchester with bands called uh, The Moods and Death to the Strange um, at some gig nights in um, the King's Arms. And um, Sharon, what was that place called? Oh, the Ru- was it the Ruby Lounge? Yeah, yeah the Ruby Lounge. Uh, we did. It. I, I don't know if it's still a venue, but it's a great venue with Death to the Strange. They're a Salford band, no, no longer going, but brilliant band. Um, and the moods and that, and a band called The Joint. So I'd done stuff with them, just sort of introducing and in between. But to do Sleaford Mods with a bigger crowd, do you know what I mean? Who again? Did you see it as a challenge? Um, as, well did, as, as well as a free I, I did do Sleaford Mods because when I did the moods and those Salford bands, a lot of people kind of knew what I was about anyway. So yeah. can, it's a bit easier. And a much but, smaller um, crowd. Yeah, the Sleaford Mods at Duchess was quite, uh, I mean, again, probably about five, six hundred capacity, it was full. And then from that, I, I, I got booked to do the whole gig with them at Fruit, sadly, just recently has gone. It's not a venue anymore, it's a great venue. And that was Sleaford Mods. And then um, the manager then, that was through the same promoter, Dean. What was his name? Shakespeare. It's Dean Shakespeare. Fucking hell, he's going to go mental. He's a lovely fellow as well. I hope you don't listen. But he's a really nice bloke. Anyway, Dean Shakespeare. It was through him I did Hull. And then I went to do, it was the manager, Steve, um, asked me to go and do um, Hebden Bridge. Right. Which is what I've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. And then I ended up doing the Scottish tour. A year later, I did Manchester Ritz with them. I did the Scottish tour, Dundee, Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Glasgow Art School. If you go on YouTube and watch the Sunglasses um, um, uh, poem, it was filmed at the art school in Glasgow, which burnt down recently. It's gone. Oh, yeah, we can put a link up for that, can't we, Chris? So uh, they've been really wonderful to me uh, uh, because, you know, if you think about it, if 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 the, my thoughts are, I don't know a lot about the music industry, but I know a good friend of mine is Dave Stead, um, and I was with him the other day actually. The, him and his um, Mrs. Sam are friends of ours, and Dave was the drummer in the Beautiful South, right? Um, so he knows the history of the music because he was in a fucking huge band, Beautiful yeah. South. And he was telling me the other day that back in the day, when if you were supporting a band that was successful, most bands would pay to go on the fucking tour. Most bands would pay to support and you can kind of understand that because yeah, it was gonna exposure sell, it's going to sell more but that's, when, but that's when record companies sold records it's different today do you know what I mean and it's different to me because all I've got to sell is a book and a few likes on Twitter do you know what I mean I just want people to listen to my poems and if they buy a book great some people want, might want a handwritten poem you know what I mean I'm fine with that you know what I mean um, so to do Sleaford Mods and actually get paid off them to do it and then for them to take me on their tour when actually we weren't friends. They didn't know me. It's not like I was their local mate on the estate. You no, know, of course. They, they, they just liked what I was doing and they took me with them and fucking forever in their debt. Jason, Andrew, and I've got to mention Steve Underwood because he, he's the, the, the manager, you know. Because um, I always consider there's, there's three in Sleaford Mods, you know, which was Steve Underwood as yeah. well, you know, because he's a really great guy if you ever get to meet him. It was a, he ran a record label and that's how they ended up sort of getting together. And do you feel that the poetry has just sort of taken over your life now? Do you think it's become a, a, a part of your life? Uh, yeah, I mean, I write a lot, you know, so, um, yeah, to a degree. I mean, um, I like writing and I like some of the, a lot, there's a lot of new stuff that I've written recently that nobody's heard that I really like and I can't wait to get it into a new book which I'm working on and I can't wait to go and do it live, which will be next year. So any gigs I'm going to do at the moment, I tend to stick with what I'm comfortable with, which is all stuff. I've got, when I do the Reverend the Makers three dates in October, there's a couple that are not new, but I've not performed live. So anybody that's come before and has not seen me, because I only get 10, 15 minutes, they, they can expect a few new ones. There's one called Shampoo, Six and Shit Roll. <laughs> Great title, that. <laughs> which is an old poem, but I just don't perform it, but I know it works live. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's about buying a shampoo. I that's the kind of mundane shit you can write about because it's not easy to buy a shampoo. There's too many fucking choices. <laughs> so that might go out live. And then, but yeah, we're going back to sunglasses, won't we? So yeah. I wrote sunglasses. So I'll tell you how I wrote sunglasses, right? Um, there was um, a poet, not John Cooper Clark, important to say that, but there was a poet that was, was appeared on social media in a venue, fucking sunglasses on. Quite a famous one. 
Again, not John Cooper Clark. Because if John Cooper Clark wears sunglasses on stage, it's a bit like Bono, in it? He's kind of all right to do it. If Noel Gallagher wears them, well, we'll, we'll let not, it go. I'm, You're still I'm, a I wouldn't really want to put Bono into the same category as John Cooper Clark. John Cooper Clark, no, yeah, 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 Bono yeah, yeah. Bono's a twat, yeah. Twat. He's a tax evading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was this, and me and my mate Marvin Cheeseman, who's a great poet, I don't know if you know Marvin. Don't know, but he's got a good name. Marvin, you've got to check Marvin out. He's a, again, I, we're skipping back again, but I did a th- another thing at the King's House where I met Marvin Cheeseman and I'd seen him and heard about him. Marvin's been going for years. He is a really funny, genius poet, you know, but he does totally different style to mine. He does very short, limericry kind of poems, but, right. but brilliant. And we were chatting on the phone as we do, blah, 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 because we talk a lot. And um, I just said, have you like you do? You're ranting like two fucking lads, you know. Have you seen that going on? Fucking, fucking sunglasses on, he died. And, and we're both having a laugh, you know what I mean? So I had to put the phone down. I goes away and I just had this thing in me. I take them fucking sunglasses off. The sun's outside you two. That's all I had. <laughs> so starts writing. I said, take them fucking sunglasses off. You're confusing cunt with cool. <laughs> and I rang him back and I went, listen to this. He went, oh, that's fucking nice. I went, I'm going to ring you back in five minutes. And I went away again. And that's how it works. If you said to me, write a poem about someone wearing sunglasses, it'd take me ages. I'd go, oh, I don't know. It's, I've got to feel it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it just came out. And then I had the line about, you know, um, um, sure, you know, take them fucking sunglasses off. And I don't normally do things that repeat. Do you know what I mean? There'll, there'll be, a, there'll be a, 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 a word for that, you know, like meter or some kind of rhythm that I don't, because I don't know fuck all about poetry and how it works. You know what I mean? There'll be some, some academic somewhere will be able to describe how I wrote it, but when you repeat every second line, there'll be a word for it. I don't yeah. know what it is. You have to Wikipedia it. But um, take them fucking sunglasses off. Surely you can't see. Take them fucking sunglasses off. You're not Lenny from Peters and Lee. Because I just... <laughs> I always think of Peters and Lee, and I had to Google what was his name because who remembers what he's called? <laughs> and then if you said name. Lenny, when you say Peters and Lee, everyone gets it. But again, you've got when you're performing to a certain audience. I, I did a gig in Manchester. Sharon will tell you if she was in here with my wife, and it was like a, a university thing. It was like a studenty thing, and I honestly died on my fucking ass because they were all about fucking twelve. You know, not not literally. They were just young. Yeah. They didn't get any reference. You know, what yeah. I mean? if you say Peters and Lee, we get it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Because we grew up with that. That sort of stuff, opportunity knocks, new faces, and that sort of stuff, you know. So, again, I've got to be careful of the audience I perform to. And if I do a younger audience, I tend to change my material because there's no point in talking about grapes are raff. You can't talk, do a poem about no, piles gonna, to a fucking 18 year old. They go, What's he talking about? I said, We could fucking know in 20 years, you know. <laughs> you're going to find out, you smarmy bastard, you know what I mean? You might be all right now down there, fucking little tea towel holder. It's going to be fucked in 20 years when you can't shit. <laughs> I think... When you're scratching your half and sniffing your fucking finger. Not that I would do you, that. Would you do me a massive favour and end it how you end all your gigs? And Oh, yeah, so you and, want sunglasses? And, and do sunglasses for sunglasses, us. Sunglasses, yeah. Just, just to tidy it all up. Have, have, have we talked too much or is it all right? Mate, we can never talk enough. <laughs> I, I'm always conscious I, make, I just make a twat of myself. But it's nice to be able to just... See, when you do radio on that, I, mean, I do a lot of BBC radio on beside Manchester and stuff like that, and they want a specific thing. They get yeah, you of on, course they do. But they get you on for a certain subject. It's Mother's Day. Come and do things. But don't swear. You know, you're, you're walking and they say, whatever you do, don't say fuck. Cause, well, I wasn't planning on doing, do you know what but I mean? now you put it in my head. It's nine o'clock in the morning, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, sunglasses. Right, here we go. Sunglasses. Right. This was written on August the 26th, 2015, so that's where me and Marvin... You need to check, Marvin. Listeners, go and Google uh, YouTube, Marvin Marvin Cheeseman. There's loads of gigs together. He's fucking brilliant. Here we go. Take them fucking sunglasses off. The sun's outside, you tool. Take them fucking sunglasses off, you confusing cunt with cool. Take them fucking sunglasses off. Surely you can't see. Take them fucking sunglasses off. You're not Lenny from Peters and Lee. Take them fucking sunglasses off. It's a look we all deplore. Take them fucking sunglasses off. Lose those delusions of grandeur. Take them fucking sunglasses off. Them shades of a shameful blunder. Take them fucking sunglasses Sunglasses off, you're not Roy Orbison or Stevie Wonder. Take them fucking sunglasses off, your room is dimly lit. Take them fucking sunglasses off, it's dark in there, you tits. JB Barrington, thank, thank you very you much. so much, my friend. Nice one. It's been a pleasure. Nice one, man. And it's not the first time I've had a policeman in the fucking house. <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically, <laughs> listeners, obviously. So, should we eat now? 
and another episode is done. I probably should have said, actually, um, in the intro, yeah, it's uh, very, very not safe for work, this episode. Um, so hopefully you weren't playing that uh, in the car with the kids in the back. That would have been a big mistake. Um, so if you did, sorry. Uh, but there is a, a little explicit on the, uh, the the description of the podcast, as there always is, just in case. You never know, because we don't limit uh, anybody or, or, or people don't self-edit on this podcast, which is a very good thing. Um, he was brilliant. He's brilliant. If you don't know JB, go see him uh, on, on his tour, when he's around doing his poetry. It's a really, really bloody good night, I tell you. Excuse me, I just did a little burp. And also, uh, thank you so much to his lovely wife, Sharon, for cooking us that chicken dinner. It was much needed. So, that is it. Oh, what a busy week. Thanks so much for joining us. And, you know, you can uh, get in contact with us, twoshotpod at gmail.com. If you want to drop us a line, that's always nice to hear you. Hear you. It's always nice to hear from you. Um, and we're on Twitter. At Two Shot Pod, Facebook, Instagram, you know that. Um, you know, this is, uh, we do this, we don't have any sponsors. We're not part of any larger network. We have a Patreon site, and you are the people that help us make it supported by you, the listener. Now, if you like what we do, which is definitely four episodes a month, or in this month, more, they're for free. If you like it, you want to drop us a pound, two pound, you know, the cost of a, a a bacon roll or a pint. If you like it, you can support us. It's patreon.com slash the two shot podcast. Go there. There's a little video that myself and Griff made just sort of tells you about it. And, uh, yeah, be really grateful. Just think of it like we're giving you gorgeous meals for your ears every month and they're free. They're always going to be free meals, right? Maybe you want to tip us and that'd be, that'd be pretty nice because it supports us and it uh well it, it pays for it. it pays for what we do it pays for something that we love and we know that you really love hearing them so look that loose change that spare quid that's down the back of the sofa dig it out maybe you want to give that every month anyway look go there check it out if you don't that's totally fine as well if you don't Go and tell a friend about the podcast that they don't know. Ah, what, what do you mean? What's a podcast? Listen to the Two Shot Podcast. I don't want to listen. Have a listen. They do have a listen, right? They'll have a listen. They might like it. All right? That's all you need to do. Pass it on. You're it. Until next week, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. Go. Have a lovely week. Take care. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers. <laughs>